We're live. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, we are still one minute to eight, but you know what? I'm gonna start. Um, I would like to welcome you to this episode of Fear Off Red. Um, this is episode 95. It is the eighth in our element series, and we are in plot season. Uh, my name is Pip Adam, and I'm really grateful to be joined tonight by Andrew Wayne. Lovely to have you here. Um, so everything is a little bit different tonight. Um, we are live streaming this. Um, so um, yeah, the reason that we're live streaming this is that today, the 2nd of May, marks the first day of the uh, Wellington Rape Crisis um, Awareness Week appeal. So um, yeah, the um, Wellington Rape Crisis has the vision of a world free of rape and sexual abuse and the damage it causes. And it does this by educating others to prevent rape and sexual abuse and provides specialist support services to survivors of rape and sexual abuse and those who support them. So um, as you may know, uh, last year, the annual street appeal for Wellington Rape Crisis was canceled due to the pandemic. And this year as well, they've decided not to have a street appeal and instead are having a week um, where they are running this cool campaign which is called Change From Your Chair. And um, Darusha and I are both in chairs tonight, so that seems fitting. Um, and what they're asking or inviting people to do is to collect um, donations for Wellington Rape Crisis in their workplace. Um, so this is my workplace, so welcome. It's very nice to have you here. Um, the uh, As I said before, the annual appeal week runs from the 2nd of May to the 8th of May, um, and you'll notice that also coincides with Rape Awareness Week. Um, to help encourage donations, um, I have produced a series of 50 zines. Um, these zines um, include a story that I wrote called A Problem, which appears in Monsters in the Garden, which is an anthology of speculative fiction. And I just want to thank VUP and Elizabeth Knox and David Larson for letting me reproduce um, that story in the zine. Now, if you would like a copy of the zine, um, what, the way that I'm giving them away is that if you would like to take a screenshot of your donation to Wellington Rape Crisis and um, DM it to me on Twitter, or you can send it to me at the website better-red.com, I will send you a zine. Um, it has a small introduction from me, and um, uh, my son, Bo Adam, has made a very beautiful cover for it. So, yes. There you go. Um, I also just realised I need to thank the IAML. Um, we are sitting in the cosy office of the writer in residence. Um, it's very nice to be here on any day, but it's particularly nice to be here today. Um, Darusha and I are not planning to talk um, about themes of sexual assault or violence, or um, so you can really just sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. Um, I am recording this as well, and those of you that subscribe to Better Off Red, you'll get this podcast tomorrow in your um, in your um, podcasting app. My goodness, uh, Darusha. Thank you so much for sitting through that introduction. Normally the guest gets to be well away when I'm doing that. But um, I wonder maybe if we could just start our conversation um, by, would you be willing to introduce yourself? However sure. you feel comfortable introducing Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Um, I am Amber Shawane. I am primarily a speculative fiction author. I have 13 novels in print. Uh, most of those are science fiction, but some of them are not. Um, I also write mainstream fiction, poetry, uh, mystery fiction, short fiction, games, I think those are the things I write. 
<laughs> I uh, was uh, honored to be a nominee for the Nebula Award two years ago for my uh, interactive fiction game, The Martian Job, which is speculative fiction. Um, it's a text game, an interactive text game, where you play a safecracker called in to do one last heist in a casino on Mars, as you do. Um, so yeah, so I write uh, light, fluffy, fun stuff like that, but I also write uh, more serious, literary um, books as well. I'm kind of all over the shop that way. Um, yeah, and as you might guess from my accent, I'm not originally from New Zealand, I'm originally from Canada. Um, my partner and I sailed here on our boat, and now we're, we've been in Wellington for about 10 years now, so yeah. One of the um, greatest experiences of my life, sorry, I'm already segueing, <laughs> is um, Darusha, um, myself, Rose Lou, and um, I can't remember who the other person was. Um, we were stuck in a car um, uh, traveling to the Carpety Writers Retreat, and Darusha told us the story of um, a shipwreck that you were in. Yes, I, I won't tell that story now. But I <laughs> but guess we I, were all fine, obviously. <laughs> the thing that I think was interesting about that is that we all were like so grateful for that story, and like I think because we had been joking just about how oh a car full of writers will be talking about semicolons and stuff, and um, which we totally talked about semicolons totally like uh, that happened. <laughs> it was like we were kind of like what are semicolons? Happened. What do you think of semicolons? <laughs> and then we have an entire conversation. But like I think what was so cool about it is after you told it, we kind of like were like oh that narrative was so good. <laughs> and I guess like the first question I've got for you because we are kind of in plot land is um, this very broad question, which is what is plot? Or maybe you could come at it another direction. What does plot mean for your writing? Like what are the implications of plot in your writing? So could we start with that? Sure, yeah. So uh, I actually um, had written a few books before it sort of, uh, well, I'd written a few books and as I think many authors do, felt very much like uh, I was wearing an author suit, but I was clearly not an author inside. Um, definitely big imposter syndrome. Um, and I definitely felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I did take create. I will get back to plot, I promise. I did take creative writing in university, but I wrote poetry then, mm -hmm. um, which I also do now. Um, but I'd never taken uh, any courses on plotting or the craft of fiction. I just kind of read a lot of books and watched a lot of television and movies and just had this feel for how a story ought to go, which as it turns out was was reasonably on track, but um, at the time I, I really felt like I was faking it. Um, and I really struggled with plot a lot um, when I was writing books. And uh, a few years ago, I really finally broke that open. I took, I was sort of, I'm not going to say blocked, but anyway, I, was, I was having trouble writing. And uh, I gave myself a week to just do sort of like my own private sort of writing retreat where I read a couple of craft books and did the exercises and read a bunch of my favorite books that I've always loved for fun because I don't really reread anymore because there's so much mm. new stuff that it's really hard to, um, I find it's hard to, to go back and reread. But so I gave myself a treat of reading like books for fun and then read these craft books. And one of the books that I read was um, Telling Lies for Fun and Profit by Lawrence Block, who is one of my favorite authors. I, I love his books. I, Mystery was my first love in genre fiction. And so um, I'd read a bunch of his books and I'd read that book before. Um, but I, I was like really digging into it. And early on, he talks about um, how little, little moments, just little uh, small moments of character can really show a lot about what a character does. Um, and 
in, in the book, he uh, uh, wrote an excerpt from um, A Walk Amongst the Tombstones, which is the first of the Matt Scudder books. And the Matt Scudder books are a series of um, books about a private investigator who used to be a New York City police officer and who's a recovering alcoholic. And they're absolutely incredible books, and he's an amazing character. And this is the first book about Matt Scudder. And it's this scene, and I, when I read it in the craft book, I was like, oh, I remember this scene. And it's this scene where he's remembering his life as a police officer, coming down a set of stairs, um, from a crime scene and deciding whether or not to take the money out of the dead man's pocket. And he does take it. And it's this whole bit and him remembering that it's all about, uh, the, you just see so much about the growth of this character and his history and exactly where his moral compass has lain in the past and where it lies now. And it's just this incredible scene about this character. And it was a really good example of what Locke was talking about. And when I read the scene, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. And I did remember it. I remembered it as well then when I read it as I just did now. And then I thought about it. And I thought, I've read A Walk Among the Tombstones multiple times because it was one of my favorites uh, as a young person. I've seen the film. I have no idea what happens in that book. Like, it's a mystery. There's probably a murder. I don't even know, right? But I remember that scene of him coming down the stairs and stealing the money from the, from the dead guy, right? And I was like, what's wrong with me? And the answer is I don't care about plot. When I'm reading or when I'm watching a film or if I'm playing a game, I totally care about the plot. It's the engine that keeps me going and makes me want to find out what happens next and keeps me like interested in the characters. But what I really care about in fiction is those, what I call, I call them the bits, which are these little character moments or setting moments or turns of phrase that make it more than just a set of events that are happening. So um, so that was really like world changing for me as a writer to realize that plot is actually not important to me as a reader. It's not important to me as a writer. And that's why I struggled with plot because I just didn't care. I don't care if there are detectives looking for a murderer or if they're a family having like interfamily drama. I mean, I care when I'm reading it and I care when I'm writing it, but I don't really care. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is characters and how they relate to each other or if it's speculative fiction, what's the world like and how does it operate and what's real and what's not real. And once I realized that that's what was important to me, it became really easy for me to, and freeing for me to, when I'm deciding to write a project, to pay attention to the parts that do interest me, the characters and the themes and, and that kind of thing. And then like literally roll dice for what the plot's going to be. Or just pick a, you know, bog standard pocket of plot out of thin air. I mean, one of the reasons I write a lot of mysteries is, you know, they're easy plots. You know, you're looking for a MacGuffin. Where'd it go? Or who did it? Plot, plot, plot's all, you know? Oh my um, god. Yeah. That's kind of blowing my mind. And also, I just think it will be such a relief for so many people. You know what I mean? Because I think that um, there is this I, I know for me, I've spent a lot of time worrying about originality of plot, whereas in reality, I really think the most useful thing that was ever told to me was like the, I think it's the Icelandic saga, two people want the same thing, go totally different ways about it, one of them gets it and then does, you know, and then it's a terrible thing, you know what I mean, like for both of them. And I was thinking the other day that that is so much most of my writing. You know, and I just think it's so interesting to, um, yeah, like, is it, it, it sounds like it's a very freeing thing, like, to be able to sort of get away from the, um, you know, worrying about trying to reinvent the wheel, and then you, you do reinvent the wheel with, um, 
you know, like the worlds and the people and the, the things that inhabit it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, and that's what it was for me because I was also feeling very bogged down by like, this is all derivative and I want to do something interesting and new. And, you know, readers would say, oh, this, I've never read anything like this before. I'm like, yeah, but, but you have, though, of course you have. Um, but of course you haven't because it is all those bits along the way. And like, you know, I mean, arguably there's only three plots in the world or whatever. I mean, I don't buy that, but I mean, there are only so many stories, the the overall narrative arc of that type of story. Um, but it's not about that. It's about how do we get there? What happens to us along the way? The specific things that we're looking for, the specific uh, small um, conflicts that we have along the way or bigger conflicts, you know, all of those things. And um, that's the reason why people can keep coming back to the same, like literally the same stories over and over again, mm. reinvented in different ways mm. and still find them fresh and new and interesting. Mm. Um, because, I mean, what happens in the story matters, but it's how it's told is really where the, the magic happens, I think. Yeah, I think you're so right. Like, I mean, I, I really fell in love with that idea of a journey, you know what I mean? Like, I, I very early on, um, you know, I've always, um, you know, enjoyed the Western, you know, Stranger Comes to Town. I've always enjoyed the move, you know, the move West, you know, like, and I think that, um, like you say, once that kind of strong kind of hinges there, it's very fun to sort of throw things off it. It's not a hinge, I think I'm talking about a spine, but yeah. And you see this, I think it makes it extremely interesting um, when you think, I wondered if we could go to the new book, The Cubit Zirconian, Zirconian, because that is writing into a pre-existing world. Is it okay to say that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you want to just talk a little yeah, bit sure. about that? Yeah. Um, so, uh, The Cupid Zirconium came out uh, about a month ago, and it is a novel that is set in the world of Keyforge, which is a um, card game that's not dissimilar in mechanics to Magic the Gathering, uh, but it's a different kind of game. Um, it's not collectible in the same way. And they also have a tabletop RPG that's based yeah. in the world of Keyforge, and because they've created this really expansive of uh, science fantasy universe called the Crucible, where there's all kinds, the, the, the overall conceit is that uh, individuals and parts of planets even, stuff, stuff in the universe gets transported to the Crucible somehow, and it's fine because like the, the the world will remake itself in such a way to make it you know sustain that kind of life or whatever, and then they can't leave again. And so you've got all these different wackadoo aliens and strange creatures from all over this imaginary universe that are stuck in this enormous world and have to deal with themselves and 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 how that works which is a super fun world to play in um but they had not a a ton of lore about um those places the the source book for the rpg had you know a fair amount of information in it as as source books do so that you can create characters and create your own adventures but um i think one of the things that they wanted out of the fiction line was to help create some of those adventures to give the players examples of the kinds of things that they might be able to create. Um, so the first thing that I wrote for them actually was a short story that was published in an anthology about a year ago called Tales from the Crucible. Mm. And um, because I am one to just sort of pick a plot out of a hat, and I do like my detective stories, I have to admit, um, I created this these characters, Wibble and Plims, who are detectives on the Crucible, and neither, they both belong to, don't belong to any of the houses of the game, so they're sort of other other style of aliens, which let me do whatever I wanted with them. Um, and they're this, basically, it's a, 
the plot is it's a detective story with two sort of odd couple detectives who banter and are ridiculous with each other and then they go on these adventures to go in the different places in the world to show off all the weird stuff that lives there um so pretty straightforward and, and simple um but i was to get back to so the plot part of it i was able to do whatever i wanted more or less um and chose to write a, a mystery because i do a enjoy them i'd already created the the you know private investigators and investigation is a really good vehicle for that kind of banter behavior. So I mean, if you think of you know classic detectives, like it, all cop shows have these banter relationships between you know the primary police officers and um, in um, uh, police procedurals, you often have a partnership or a detective and someone else that they're sort of working with because it allows you to show that detective process as they talk amongst each other about what they're doing. Um, but also, so, so then you've also got this built-in relationship where you can have fun with the way that they relate to each other and that kind of thing. Um, so the plot uh, was sort of, you know, the plot sort of uh, came about because I already knew I had detectives and then I knew I wanted them to go to lots of different places and have to look into things. But then, I mean, a lot of it I stole whole cloth from a Raymond Chandler book mm -hmm. um, and just like plunked it into this science fantasy world and changed all the characters. And I mean, when I say stole, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone would even recognize it now, but I mean, in my head, I was just writing that story again but then with all the bits changed and one of the things that I think is really interesting um, about them as a duo like I was always thinking about moonlighting um you know yeah, like, you always, totally moonlighting. <laughs> like you always want them to have different strengths and like they are physically quite different from Extremely each other right? different, yeah. and I think that's part of the fun as well well part of the I don't know and that's what I mean about this thing you know like um you know, this this thing that we're talking about, about borrowing from other places, you know, like the minute you put non-humans in there, it's a completely different story, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you're able to do so much more. Um, and that was one of the things that was fun in that book because it's science fantasy, So, I'm, which is usually I write hard science fiction mm -hmm. when I write science fiction, but um, this is science fantasy. And while I was constrained by uh, by the fact that it was not my IP. Um, and so I had to, I was constantly going back to reference the source book to make sure that, you know, this, that how do Martians work? And, you know, like, oh, Martians don't have gender. Okay, I have to make sure that I remember that. And like, oh, they're really xenophobic. Okay, and then like giants, okay, they're like this, and this is the color of their skin, like that kind of stuff. And also um, certain things that, that are story related about how they interact with each other, I had to sort of work into those. But aside from that, extremely free to do whatever I wanted. Um, laws of physics didn't have to apply. I could make them do all kinds of strange things, which just adds to the ability to, to sort of work with, um, one of the things that uh, happens in that book that I really loved is um, Wibble, who is this little sort of football shaped sort of, I think of her as a space whale, even though she's never described that way in the book and she just is what she is. But, um, and she's sort of, no one really knows where she came from or what she's all about. And she's this sort of fun loving, ridiculous, wild one who will do anything for a laugh. Um, and, but is also pretty serious about her job. Um, she shows her feelings on her body by the changing the color of her skin. And um, when I was writing, I, I, I thought a lot about um, like how, what that would actually feel like and how difficult it would be if you can't control it or and how vulnerable making it would be and i and i always thought i mean again none of this comes through in the book uh, explicitly but i think one of the reasons why she is so brash and out there and sort of in your face is because she can't help but be vulnerable mm -hmm. because you, you can see if you if you know what the colors mean you can see what she's feeling mm -hmm. um 
and I, and there are like various plot points between her relationship with her partner Plams, who's a cyborg and quite prim and proper, um, but very emotional in a quiet way, um, where like Plims sees what Wubble's feeling and then reacts accordingly. And it's not a big deal. I don't make a big deal out of it in the book. It's just it's mostly just there for me. I do a lot of my writing just in jokes for me um, when I'm writing. And there's a lot of there a lot of their um, uh, communication actually happens without words. Mm. Yeah. And, and this, like, I'm going to ask you a question completely um, selfishly, because um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that these are very, um, the, the world is so different from Earth, if you know what I mean. Like, and I think, is this correct? Maybe incorrect. I think that sometimes you're utilizing plot to tell us about the world, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Like, and I think, because I'm just thinking about that scene very near the beginning where they're climbing up a tree, you know, and both of them have different ways of climbing up the tree, which tells us a lot about their physiology, tells us a lot about, um, you know, the world as it is. And I just, I don't know, like, how on earth do you do that? Like, because this is, a, I mean, I that thing you're saying about the emotions on the um and the body and that, that was one of the I felt I felt that very deeply when I was reading it, and I was like, how do you do that without saying to someone, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, right now this is what happens and this is you know this is how it's different from you and you know have you got any like um tricks for young players like you know any advice on that kind of thing? yeah I think. I mean, part of it is figuring it out for yourself as yeah. the author first, and well, and editing is a big help with that. Mm -hmm. um, so when I when I wrote the first Wibble and Plim story, uh, I had figured out that she did that, but it was a short story, so there was much less, you know, of that. But for myself, when I was writing the novel, I have I had an entire cheat sheet of like I had a page that said Wibble's colors, and it was like what what this color means, and then when like the grid when, when there's a gradation, what does that mean, and, and all of that kind of stuff, so that when she was doing something, I would go back and make sure that it made sense. But I think. The, I mean, the, the one tip that I have for writing sort of fabulous fiction where the world is not our world mm. is to trust your reader. You don't have to say, like, this is a giant planet with lots of different aliens. They can, some, some of them can swim, some of them can fly. You will notice because they, you don't have to do that. I mean, and it feels like you do. And I often when I'm writing, my first chapter is that mm -hmm. because I don't tend to, I don't enjoy outlining and I tend to find, I'm a discovery writer, so I tend to find out what happens along the way. So I will remove the sections where I say, this is how the world works, or this is how these character works to a certain extent. And you can, you can, I mean, show, don't tell, but I mean, that's not, I don't buy that either, but, um, but you can just let the world happen and then offer explanations it just sort of as necessary throughout the book. And again, having a good editor helps with that. I mean, my editor made me explain things a little bit more than I would have otherwise. Um, but I've also had editors who were like, I oh, know that's too obvious, you can take that out. So, um, but yeah, I think the, the number one tip is you don't actually have to explain everything. You can just show how it works or show it working. Yeah. And then people can figure it out as they go along. Because that is one of the other amazing things that I found in there is that there are like, um, Near the beginning, there's an there there's, there are elves in this planet, and yeah. you mentioned giants, and you know, and these are things that we bring our own kind of connotation to. And how do you meet the reader with that? Like, how do you sort of say, 
I know your giants, but this are the giant. These are the giants here. I yeah. guess is it similar to what you're saying? Like you show it in action. Maybe? Kind of. Um, I mean, this it was one of the nice things about um, working with an existing universe mm -hmm. is I could actually look up like what do elves look like. <laughs> what yeah. do elves look like? Yeah. What, what are their names like? Where do they come yeah. from? What do they do? And then just work with that as if that's something everybody already understands. Especially knowing that a lot, not all, but a lot of the readers for this will be familiar with those characters. And so making sure that it's not uh, trying, I mean, it's, it is a balance of trying to make sure that, um, you know, people, when they read the elves in the Cuban Zirconium are not, you know, thinking of Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Because they don't look like that. Um, so, you know, the, the first time the elves are mentioned, you find out that they're green or purple, um, that because that's the color of elves' skin mm -hmm. in this world, right? Um, and so, you, you know, you find out stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just it's walking that balance of, like, okay, just showing the different things that exist as, as you would um, and not worrying too much about what other people bring to it. But another thing that, I mean, one of the things that I found quite enjoyable and did on purpose is trying to sort of work with people's preconceived notions and subvert them a little bit. Um, one of my favorite images in there is there's a, a giant as one of the characters and the first time that you meet him he's wearing a fuzzy orange bathrobe mm. and the whole deal with him is that he he's lost a piece of jewelry that he really likes because it's pretty mm. and giants like pretty things mm, of course. and like why wouldn't they <laughs> i just absolutely love it and i think you know i mean this this is probably getting way too serious way too fast but i think there is Okay, this, this has always been my theory on things, and it may be wrong, but like, it feels like we have these very tight, you know, there's heteronormative, there's patriarchy, there's, you know, like we have these very sort of ingrained hierarchies of power, but when we go to fantasy, when we go to science fiction, when we go to speculative fiction, we're able to kind of explode those things a little bit, aren't we? And I, I well, I feel like there's more... I hate using that word freedom, but you know, there's an opportunity to recreate a world without some of those things. Absolutely. Do you, is that right? Or yeah, I think it is right. I think one of the, I mean, I think the power of speculative fiction, um, science fiction and fantasy in quite different ways actually, is to be able to like make commentary on the world in which we do live by showing a different way. I mean, it could be a worse way, it could be a better way, it could just be plain old different, but by having to imagine a world that is not, that does not function the way that our current world does, you kind of force the reader to, to pay attention to the way our world does work, right? It's like, oh, I've told you that it's different. That means you need to think about how it is, mm. and then you can look at how it's different. Mm. Um, science fiction, in particular, I have always thought is like uh, is a tool that allows us to try on different futures and to try on different realities, good ones, bad ones, ones we're not too sure about, um, and really think about what it would be like to live in a different way. And because I don't believe that you can make a change in your life or in your world without having imagined it first. Um, so to me, that one of the reasons why I love science fiction so much, but as, at, both as a reader, viewer, and writer, is that it allows, it is to me, it is the agent of change. It is the, the way that we, that we breathe our future into being is by imagining it first mm -hmm. through story. Can I talk a little bit about this idea of, um... Well, probably we can talk about it. I always say that. Can I talk about it? Um, sure, you can talk about anything. I can talk about anything. This idea of um, utopic future, and like, I think, you know, like, 
the tone of this work is different from a lot of your other work. You've mentioned that already. Um, you know, like the same material in the same world could be written a lot darker, right? Like, I mean, because the totally. way the crucible is described, it, it isn't the most unscary sort of idea. No. And, <laughs> and actually, it's interesting because I, I it is a fun book, and I wrote it to be fun, and I wrote it to be... And, you know, it's a fun escapist mm. read where, you know, spoilers, it, it all works out in the end. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because the, the rights holder, in, in when it was edited, actually made me make it less dark. Mm. Because there was, there was a, there's a scene in it where um, the cyborg detective finds what uh, appears to be a dead body of a mechanical creature. And I was, I mean, I'm not going to say explicit, but I mean, I talked about wires and casings being open, and I referred to it as a corpse. Mm -hmm. And they were like, nah, that's too dark. Take it oh out. God. And I was like, okay, that's that's cool. I mean, I was totally fine with that because I, I could see where they wanted to go. Um, but I mean, absolutely the, and I think that's an interesting just perspective on, on stories in general is often the tone of the, like you could take the same story and using, Focusing on different elements, telling it from a different person's point of view, a different character's point of view, looking at it from a different angle, and all of a sudden you've taken a, a funny light story, and now it's like a horror story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's true of life. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it all depends on what you look at, and, and any event can kind of uh, go either way. There's sort of depending on who is. And that's particularly interesting when you're talking about investigators, um, police procedurals, you know, like safe crackers, you know, when you are talking about these people, like, I think that one of the really interesting things is, um, you know, how to deal with violence and crime, you know, how to deal with um, even like that sort of, how to deal with the perpetrators of yeah. crime, you know, which, which are really interesting as well, because like the sort of, the person that delivers the MacGuffin, well, the being that delivers the MacGuffin in the first place is not a straight, you know, not a little sort of Nana coming because no. she's lost her kitten kind of no, thing. No, definitely not. And There's I, a lot of uh, moral ambiguity. Yeah, which I really, really love. Yeah, it's, not, it's my favorite thing, and that's why I did it that way. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, the uh, the IP holder, and it's one of the interesting things with working with other people, um, is that you sort of uh, get this, this other feedback. One of the things that um, when I pitched the, the story to them in the first place, they wanted to be extremely careful with how law enforcement or anyone in a position of authority was portrayed. Um, and one of the, the really good um, pieces of reader feedback I've gotten is, is that, but I can't really take credit for it because they asked me very specifically to make sure that they're not doing things that are morally dubious. They're not, you know, beating confessions out of people or, you know, like that kind of thing. And because, I mean, from a narrative perspective, that stuff's great. That mm -hmm. stuff's gold, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, fun to read and it's easy to write and all of that kind of stuff. But they wanted me to be really, really careful that um, anyone who was in a position of authority in that book was behaving in a way that would be appropriate mm -hmm. and and you know the kind of thing that you would want to see and which ended up making those two characters in a lot of ways more interesting because they end up discussing those questions with each other uh, occasionally and having different perspectives on what the right thing to do is and which is also interesting because what's right to me isn't necessarily right to you and mm -hmm. that's you know that can be where where the conflict lies it's not necessarily someone's trying to be the bad guy I could be trying to do the right thing, and you could be trying to do the right thing, but those thing, two things come in conflict, and now we have a conflict. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I just oh, I love it. Um, this um, 
I'm thinking that a few people that listen to the podcast, this idea of writing in a known universe, like writing, um, you know, um, novels that are in conjunction with games and stuff like that, might be relatively new. But um, this is this is quite. It sounds like the most amazing process because it sounds very similar to me to like a writer's room for a TV series or, you know, that kind of thing. And I just wonder. What's the experience been like? Like, it sounds yeah, amazing. It, it is really cool. It, I don't think it's too much like being in a writer's room because I definitely, once the project had been sort of, uh, was going ahead, I just went away and wrote oh, it. Right, that right. was it. Um, but uh, The Martian Job, which is the game, yeah. which isn't in an existing IP, but that was a bit more like a writer's room because I because it's a more complex beast and there's code as well as as, as the fiction writing, um, I would send my chapters in every chapter to my editor and we would have a back and forth about it, um, which is a really cool process. But the way that it worked for uh, the Cupid Zirconium is I went through a pitch process with them where I sort of gave them like a paragraph idea of like concept um, and when they liked it then they wanted to see an outline um, with like a full synopsis of what would sort of happen um, which I hate doing <laughs> I hate that so much but there we go um, understandably they need to know what they're getting into before they like plunk down some money so fine I did that and it was awful um, but then I had it and it was done and then it made the book, writing the book quite a bit easier yeah. as, as yeah. outlines actually do do um, but then yeah that was a very again free process where once that whole process, and again, that's where the notes came in with like, you know, can you do this with the detectives and you need to be careful about, you know, this group on the principle that you don't show them doing this because later on they have to do that. Don't tell anyone, blah, blah, that kind of thing. Um, when I, so I got all that sort of, you know, stuff uh, sort of at the beginning and then was set free to do whatever I wanted. And then after that, there was a, a round of feedback um, first with my editor and then, um, and then with the rights holders where they went through and certain things, you know, they, and, and it was an, it was a surprise, the kinds of things I think like that they wanted it to be a little bit less dark. And then they also had, um, there was a really throwaway moment, but they wanted me to change it just because if they left it that way, it would lock the art department into doing something that they hadn't already decided they wanted to do. And it, like, it never even occurred to me that that was a thing that I would need to be concerned about. But it's like, oh yeah, and I can just take that description out, like problems, that's fine, cut, goodbye. But it was really interesting and completely different from, you know, writing your own fiction where you just, we don't have any of those constraints, but you also don't have any of that help. I just, I mean, like this, I mean, um, I must, I, I've just got to put in a, 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 an absolute um, plug for the master job. It is so much fun. And like, I just, I, as, a person who writes single volume, you know, like <laughs> beginning, middle, year, boring, boring, boring. Um, I it, it it I just cannot fathom how you control that narrative. So I <laughs> did like, I know? Oh, well, it's worked for me every time, and I'm trying to break it a few times. Um, but like, so just to describe it, like I I'm not sure what the right lingo is for it, but um. You know, there's a really, there's a beautiful piece of writing, then I make a decision, then I am leapt to another piece of writing, and the action continues, and at each point I'm interacting with the text and deciding where, where we go next. Um, I, 
is there like in my head i'm thinking maybe there's a program for this or like is it how on earth how did you do it how did you do it so again unfortunately like the power of a good outline as much as uh boy did i dislike that process but um so that was an even longer pitching process where again it starts with a concept and then, then then you go and you work with the outline and um uh, I worked with the editors there on that outline for nearly a year yeah. before it oh was ready to go. Yeah, um, because they need for first of all you to have uh, figured out what like the main threads of the narrative are going to be. Ultimately, what they're looking for specifically are because there's there's a, a whole RPG part of it as well. So you need to know what the stats are and how they affect things and and that kind of stuff. But then you need to know what the end states are. So as opposed to like the end of the story, it's mm. like the end state of where your character can be um, and in with respect to the various different sort of threads of plot because there are, are entirely different stories that you can be playing. Um, so there's, you know, the casino heist plot, there's a couple of romance options, there's actually lots of romance options in the Martian job. Um, then there's this nefarious character that you can either hook up with or defeat or never interact with. Um, and there's, so there's all these little side quests or side plots that you can focus on if you want. So I had to sort of figure out what they all were, what the end states would be. Yeah. And then as I was writing, you know, figuring out ways to get there. Um, it was, I had a spreadsheet when I was writing that kept me track of uh, the stats that players could increment and decrement and how they would, uh, how it would affect things and stuff. But I mean, it's, there is no, like the program, the, the way that it's written in code is it's written in old fashioned, like flat code mm. where it's just, it's kind of like Python if you're used to oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's similar to Python, Choice, Choice Script is the name of the um, program. And you're just like writing, you know, and they're just if, if then kind of statements. I mean, they're not just if then statements because I'm a total dork and I had to write, so there's a playable game of blackjack and a playable game of um, roulette in there. And I wrote those, I wrote the code for those in Choice Script, which is not designed for this at all. But it was it was like a break from like writing writing was I you know wrote these things and it was super fun and and for a little tiny thing you don't even have to play in the game but um, it was super fun for me. And did it take like it just seems like a process? That it took a year. Take it took a year to write. So it took a year to do the outline and then it took a year to write and it's about one hundred and sixty thousand words. Oh my gosh, you're kidding! Um, but uh, but what each playthrough is about like a novella is about thirty thousand. So. Yeah yeah. Oh my god, would you do it again? Yeah, oh, I, you would. Have done it again. I would do it again. Um, I would do it again. I think the um, company that uh, uh, at the time that I was writing, they were really um, expanding. And so they were taking like all kinds of different sorts of stories. Um, but since then, they've sort of uh, decided to focus on the sort of core kind of story that their players really like. Um, and they're particularly interested in like superheroes and like power fantasies and that kind of thing. And nothing and none of that really like that's not my jam as mm-hmm. much. Um, so I sort of was like, ah, yeah, but I might go back to them and if I come up with another idea, I would really, I actually pitched them, um, a, a game where, because I am a different kind of nerd, I'm a soccer nerd, um, I pitched, I pitched them a story, which I would, I might actually write this one day, where, um, basically you're a soccer player, and of course it's a fantasy world, because all of their games you have to be able to play as male, female, or non-binary, non-binary and have multiple different romance options. 
Um, so in a fantasy world where I guess you could be a professional soccer player no matter what your gender was, um, where you basically go from being like a high school star all the way up to like playing for the World Cup or a national team, but you have to like pick what country you're from. And I was gonna do like literally every country in FIFA and literally every like yeah, and it was. I had it all like worked out with tables and stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, sports games though. They're really they're not selling." I'm like, "Yeah, fair enough." And also, this would be like ten years of my life. <laughs> I would be like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh my god, that would yeah. be so cool though. Oh my gosh, yeah, it would be pretty fun. Oh fun for me gosh. and like five other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be totally yeah. into this. Sometimes that's enough. Yeah, it is. Yeah, maybe. I might, who knows? I might do it for fun one day. One thing I did want to ask a little bit about, um, it, like, like this seems complex narrative. You know what I mean? And and like a exciting narrative, and like, um, it interacts with the reader in such a different way. And I guess the other thing I'm wondering about is your multi-volume work. Like I mentioned that, you know, like I I. Are they written all together? This is such a naive question. Or do you write one and then work on the next? Like, do you, this plan, does it reach out for all, all the books? Or does it? Yeah. 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 So, oh my God. So I have, I've written two series. Um, one I did write pretty much uh, in one go, and that's uh, the YA uh, mainstream series. Um, and they're quite slim books, each of them. So it's like one big fat YA yeah. book broken yeah. up into four. But I, I mean, I wrote it sequentially, and it just sort of it does follow one overarching story that breaks up easily in, uh, along the four ways. Um, so I did just write it kind of as one thing. Um, but then the other series, the science fiction series, so again, it's a, a detective hmm. series. And the first book uh, was written to a standalone it was in fact it was i think the only book i was ever intending to write i didn't think of myself as an author i was just i was actually a podcaster at the time yeah and um and i'd written another book and then i was like oh this would be cool so you know i'll like oh this is a cool idea so i'd write that and then when i finished it i realized that i was interested in telling more stories about those characters but they're of the it, they are of the same the sort of detective series that uh, sort of classic detective series of the 80s and 90s were written in where it's the same characters and there is an over like it just follows sequentially in time so that you can see the characters grow and change and there's things that happen in earlier stories that affect later stories but you can read them in any order whatsoever because they're completely self-contained stories mm. um, and so i'd written them yeah, to be that and i'd also at that time was um one of the things that i was interested in doing was uh taking detective tropes and putting them in a science fictional world. Um, so the first one is sort of like the classic noir detective, and then the second one is a hunt for a serial killer, and then the third one is, um, well, then it sort of fell apart because now I actually had too much stuff going on with all of the characters. Um, and then I'd finished it at three, and I was done. I was completely finished with those characters, and I wasn't going to write any more, um, though I never said never because, you know, you never do. Uh, and then like five years later, I was like, hey, actually while I was writing The Martian Job, I was waiting, um, I turned in my outline and things are slow in publishing, everybody knows that. And they, I wasn't hearing back and I didn't, I was, uh, there was a bit of a communication breakdown. So I didn't know what was going on. And I was at a loose end um, and I went for a walk with my partner. I was like, what am I gonna do? I should just write another Dex book. And he was like, well, you could just do that. So I went home and just started writing a book and um, yeah, did the fourth one did, then a few years later. And again, I don't think I'm going to write any more of them, but I, anything I, is possible. I would not be sad if there were more. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I, I just, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel what's so interesting about it is that there needs to be this kind of memory of what's happened before, though, eh? Like, yeah. I mean, like that thing you were talking about with the art department and the other people's worlds. Like, yeah, like, the, the do the characters kind of grow and change? Yeah, mine yeah, do, definitely. Yeah. That's what I find interesting. Again, it's the bits, right? The story is kind of whatever. It's all about, for me, um, all, all of my books really are about how the characters grow and change with the scenarios that they're in and the stuff that's happened to them. Because I guess there is that version of, um, I'm thinking of a couple of um, detective series that I know where the character really doesn't age yeah. and doesn't change. And, you know, and I think that's a, that's a, it's a choice as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that can be quite fun as well. Yeah. 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 These are not that. These are, you know, as if life were normal, yeah. they grow and change and move and do actually lots of changes happen. Yeah. 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 Why do you think, I, I, I mean, I feel like um, this narrative of investigator, detective, crime solver, it seems to work very well in conjunction with science fiction. Do you think that that's just a natural thing, or do you think, like, there's also space for romance, there's yeah. space, you know, I, I suppose, you know, like, I mean, it, it, maybe it isn't necessarily particular to to investigation and crime, but I don't know. Do you think? Or? Well, I think I've heard some, I've, I've, people have talked about this before, and I know there's a handful of science fiction writers uh, who also write crime, or crime mm. science fiction, mm -hmm. who, who think that they, I, I think it's uh, Robert Sawyer who said that science fiction and detective stories go better together than science fiction and fantasy do. Oh. Which I'm not sure I buy, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Um, but I think it's because Sort of the uh, so detective fiction is about the story. It is what is happening. What is happening is there's been a crime or something's missing or we're looking we're looking for the MacGuffin. Whether the MacGuffin is some jewels or the murderer or the culprit or whatever. Um, whereas science fiction and fantasy are really more about setting, right? So where is it happening? What is the world in which it is happening? What how does that world function? Is it the future? Is it the past? Is it an alter is it you know secondary universe what is it and so those and and i mean just like romance is also about what happens mm -hmm. um so it's quite easy to put those narrative genres into a genre see this is the problem with the word genre it means mm. too many things yeah, so yeah, yeah. fundamentally means nothing in the end but it's easy to put a, a narrative type into a setting bucket and and then they fit really, really nicely together because you have all the tropes that come from the narrative type that you can use and misuse and change and fiddle with in this new setting type. Um, and then the tropes of the setting type as well can feed into can feed into that as well. So I think um, I think it was I think it was Toddy Thompson on uh, Twitter the other day had a, a thread about instead of talking about genre to be talking about. Um, like traditions, yeah. trope traditions, and storytelling traditions, and narrative traditions, and how they fit together and, and pick and, and go. And I thought that was a really, again, a kind of one of those mind-blowing moments of like, uh, because I've always found, as much as I am very much a genre writer in a lot of ways, um, that that's a really limiting way of thinking about it. Like, yeah, okay, I mean, if there's a robot on the cover or a spaceship on the cover, you kind of know what you're going to get, but you also don't. Are you going to get a detective story? Are you going to get a love story? Are you going to get family drama? I mean, there's lots of options as to what you're going to get in there. Um, so yeah, setting it's yeah. I think it's because setting and narrative can work together in in interesting ways. And I think like I mean for me, this is the thing that I've always loved about 
crime. I keep calling it crime, but I don't know what the right yeah. I don't even know what the right thing is for it. But the thing I've loved about it is that it always works across class um, and across, you know, like you have, you know, it's for starters, it's kind of um, often competency, which I love, or incompetency. It's about work, which I really love. But also, I think it's that thing that you are often talking to everyone in society, if you know what I mean. And yeah. I'm thinking that the reason that maybe it works for me is the stuff that you're talking about in um, um, Cuba, is that it there's the capacity to meet a lot of people in the world, isn't there? And there's a capacity to go a lot of places in the world, which maybe, you know, is, is kind of useful when you're talking about that setting thing. I totally think you're right. Yeah. Like, you know, that is the way to go, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, I wanted to do in that book was, I mean, the, the sort of intent was to be able to show off yeah. the the world, right? I mean, that, that's the point of the book. Um, and so... What, how, what, what makes you go on a road trip? What makes you travel? Well, you're looking for something. So, you know, it, it all kind of fits into that. And, and you're right about crime sort of crossing class and crossing geography as well, is that if you're, if you're hunting for something or you're hunting for someone, you're right, you have to talk to all kinds of people, people you wouldn't necessarily interact with ordinarily. And you have, especially if you've got that position of authority as a detective, you have the ability to, to reach those people that you wouldn't necessarily, or places that mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily otherwise be able to be. And so you're right, it does open up the, the narrative world to interact with all kinds of different communities within the world that you're that you're talking about. And you've got that amazing thing that you were talking about before, you know, that moral ambiguity, because like you're dealing with people on all sides of this weird line that we call law, you know, and like you're learning about a society or or sort of intersection cultures, ideas about, you know, about right and wrong in a way as well, yeah. which is kind of, I don't know, it's 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 really, really interesting. Oh my gosh, I just love your work so much. Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the end, and I'm thinking that, you know, I, I really, there, I could talk to you for another, like, 10 hours. But one thing I really am interested in, and I like to ask people, is what, and people sometimes don't like that word writing practice, but what is your work life look like as far as writing goes? Like, are you a sit down at nine, and I know that you juggle it with a few other things, don't you? Sure, who doesn't? So, yeah, yeah. like, I don't know, uh, uh, Lee Child. No, uh, but probably, probably. surely Lee Child has to make a sandwich. This is a very good point. At some point, you know, I so, in his life. I so want to watch Lee Child make a sandwich now. <laughs> um, but, like, what... So how how do get book finished? How do get book finished? Yeah, yeah if only I knew, right? Um, they do seem to happen. Uh, the way that it has worked in the past, it is working differently right now. Um, but the way that it's worked in the past is that when I have a project on the go, um, I devote some time to that every workday. And yeah. by workday, I mean Monday to Friday. My partner works a relatively ordinary job, so we try very hard to have weekends be weekends where we, not that we don't work, but we don't work on our work work, yeah. you know. Um, that's the the goal. And so, um, I mean, for example, when I was writing The Martian Job, it was, uh, and it, I tend to be one of those writers because I don't know what I'm doing at the beginning, where I, I like pull teeth and it's terrible and I like, I get a couple of hundred words done in a day and it's awful. But then when I get sort of, once I hit that halfway point of a project, usually it just kind of, 
goes a lot more slow, more quickly, and so I tend to, to work longer. So I, um, the, the, the goal is to like sit and actually do something every day, and it will usually take care of itself uh, towards the halfway through. So I don't tend to stress about working out per day or even time in front of the screen so much. Um, at the beginning of a project, I usually am a bit more concerned about it because it's always difficult at the beginning for some reason. Um, but I'm very deadline motivated, so so long as I have a deadline, I'll make it happen. Um, but when I don't have a deadline or I'm just writing something on spec, it's a bit more loosey-goosey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do try to um, get some time in for creative writing work every workday. That's yeah. the intent. Yeah. Man, I so relate, and I just can't tell you how grateful I am that you said that thing about not really knowing. I think that's what I'm hearing. Maybe it's my narcissism. Oh, I don't, no, I don't <laughs> have a clue what's happening when I start writing a book. Like usually I've got an idea and I'd applaud that I picked out of a hat or something. But um, yeah, it's really hard and because I am, a, even with an outline, the beginning is still, because I don't know what the, I mean, I do, I do have a voice, I think, but um, my the tone of my writing is wildly variant, mm -hmm. and I can uh, I've realized now that I can be funny and I can also be fairly serious and literary and I can I can have a very sort of um, I can have a, a sort of the opposite of opaque transparent prose, um, but also I can be fairly dense and things. So, but I don't know what it's going to be when I first start writing. So not only do I not know who the characters are, what's going to happen to them, where they are, what they're doing, why they're doing it, why anyone should care. I also don't know what the sentences should look like yeah. or feel like. And so it's quite difficult at the beginning. You can tell I'm at the beginning of something right now because I'm really like thinking about this a lot. But um, yeah, I just don't know what it's going to feel like until I'm a couple of chapters in and then, then I know what's going on and then I can just go back and fix everything and editing to make yeah. it all smooth it out and make it sound right. The only it's quite hard at the beginning. Uh, the only thing that makes me feel okay is someone said to me once that the first draft is me telling myself the story yeah. and I'm just like, Okay, and it's the only thing that gets me to the keyboard every day is that because it frightens me when I don't know what's going on. And yeah, I just I just think hearing that is so useful, you know, because like that thing, I really, someone said to me once, oh, I hear, always hear it first. I always hear the voice first. And I'm like, whoa, that's lucky. That would be, cool. <laughs> that would be amazing. Like I would, I would love to be able to hear the voice first. Yeah, it's wild. Okay, I think... We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for coming out on such a cold night. Oh, it's lovely in here. It's, it's all right in here, right? Yeah, thanks for the heater. This is good. Um, and I just want to finish off by saying normally at the end of every podcast, I offer an exercise. And I've had a couple of ideas around um, our conversation. One is it might be interesting to um, do a bit of a dice roll to think about, um, you know, detective romance. What else do we have? Battle. A journey, all those kind of things, and you might like to pick one of those and then set it somewhere, you know, um, different. You know, like what happens if the, um, I don't know, what happens if Gallipoli happens, and um, I don't know, we could it happen somewhere else? Dragons, I don't know. Um, and then the other thing I wondered about was this idea of um, the way. Uh, you said roll the dice and that made me think about the Martian um, job and I was thinking about maybe you get yourself a dice and you start a story and you give yourself a couple options and then roll the dice and I wonder if you did that for half an hour where that would end you. I think it, it could be quite interesting. So I don't know, those are my two ideas for exercises but thank you so much. Thank you. I, I freaking love talking to you. I, I always feel much better about things after I talk to you. Okay. I'm going to lean forward and end the stream now. Right. So goodbye, everyone. Thank you. And I'm